Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much as always for being here. Hope all is good with you and yours. Things are okay here apart from my internet today is sketchy as fuck. That is the uh, technical term for what's happening. It keeps disconnecting and then reconnecting a little while later and then disconnecting again. And I've rebooted the whole lot of it. The modem, the router, the fucking doohickey, the watsit, the thingamajig, the wasmataz, the flux capacitor, all of it. And none of it seems to make the blindest bit of difference. All I want is a consistent internet connection. Is that too much to ask on a day when I have to record a podcast? I think it is. I've been sitting here without the internet playing with my latest purchase. What is it, I hear you say? Well, it's the height of music technology, the height of sophistication. It is a David Bowie stylophone. If you don't know what a stylophone is, you probably didn't grow up in the 1970s where the stylophone was considered state-of-the-art. It's a little box with a pen with a metal bit on it and metally bits for your um, notes. It plays music. Like, uh, let me see if I can pick something out here. Hang on. Yeah, you get it. I mean, it is uh, hugely entertaining to me, if not to you. I, I had one of these when I was a kid and I loved it. And then I saw during the week on the David Bowie website, they were issuing brand new David Bowie branded stylophones and I, I had to have one. <sighs> It's already beginning to, like, the, the sticker is beginning to pop up on things. I'm not sure production values on this are quite what they should be. Not sure the old thin white juke himself would be uh, happy with the uh, the finish on these things. But there you go. Oh, was it, was it? Uh, I'm quite satisfied for the moment until I put it in a drawer somewhere and forget that I have it along with many other things of a similar stripe. So it is a big weekend ahead of us from a football perspective. We go into an interlull after this weekend, but before that, we have the small matter of the North London Derby coming up on Sunday afternoon. And we will, of course, be talking about that a little later on in the show. However, there was midweek football. Arsenal 3, AFC Wimbledon nil, watched by a crowd in the stadium, and that's pretty much it. Because, for whatever reason... I don't know if it's to do with Arsenal's diminished stature as much as it is to do with the third round of the Carabao Cup and no broadcasters being willing to actually pay any money to uh, buy the rights uh, and show the games. But we weren't on telly anywhere in the world. There are these websites that exist, which you can you know find with a very easy Google search, which tell you you know, which games are on which channels all over the world. It'll tell you which satellite channels, which cable companies, which services, etc., etc. And there's always something for every game, always. I cannot, literally cannot remember the last time that an Arsenal game had no coverage whatsoever. There was some stuff, you know, some highlights doing the rounds. But in terms of live coverage, there was no live coverage anywhere in the world last night. And that meant, of course, that there were no streams for anybody to, to pick up and... All the millions of Arsenal fans around the world who, you know, recognising that the third round of the Carabao Cup isn't exactly the pinnacle of football, still wanted to watch their team 
could not watch their team. Uh, although it was quite funny, I have to say, to to be on Twitter and to see people going crazy about a game that they weren't even watching. Whatever about watching the game and not liking what you're seeing, not liking what somebody else is tweeting, I mean, that feels like a stretch. Like you're trying a bit too hard to not like something when you're not even seeing it. But hey, that is the internet. So look, why don't we talk to somebody who was there, somebody who was inside the ground, somebody who saw the game and can give us a bit of insight into what went down and how it went down. Delighted to welcome from The Athletic, Art DeRoche. Hi, Art. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me again. My pleasure. How do you feel today as one of the very privileged few people in the world who who actually got to see this game? I mean, normally there's however many people there are in the stadium, but then a worldwide audience of millions, tens of millions for every Arsenal game. And it was whatever the attendance was last night, 50,000 there or thereabouts. Like you, you guys were the lucky ones. Nobody else got to see any of it apart from some grainy footage of the goals that somebody filmed <laughs> on their phone off Sky Sports News or whatever. Yeah, it was quite weird. I think I was looking uh, at the highlights Arsenal put out on their YouTube channel and that's already reached a million, <laughs> a million right. views. And when you consider it's a, a third round uh, Carabao Cup game against Wimbledon, that is quite amazing, to be mm. honest. But um, in terms of the game itself, it wasn't, I, I don't think it was Arsenal's best performance ever. It was quite a standard, standard game where um, you had your moments of, I guess, uh, Partey looking quite nice, quite silky. And then again, there was just some moments in the final third where you're, I guess, hoping for a little bit more. Mm. Um, so there was, I guess, the familiar themes that I guess people who, who didn't watch the full game could imagine what those themes are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and aside from that, I think it was just maybe, I guess, people would have expected a more youthful lineup. Mm. But considering there's no Europe, I wasn't particularly surprised that the the perceived strength of, of Mikata's selection. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's um, normally because we have Europe, the Carabao Cup becomes a, a tournament in which you can blood the youngsters. But basically, apart from Thomas Partey, who we'll talk about in a bit more detail in a, in a bit, like he pretty much picked a whole new starting 11 from players who aren't necessarily young players there were some young players in the team but they weren't what you would consider like the academy kids getting a chance but all of these players are part of the first team they've been very much fringe players in the you know particularly in the in the last couple of games when he's had pretty much everybody available to him and some players have sat down we haven't seen Lacazette much this season uh you know so he is kind of in a position where he has to keep these guys some measure of match fitness, you know, get that into their legs because at some point he is going to need some of them when there's injuries, when there's suspensions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. I think the main example of that last night was Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Obviously, a month ago, I think um, his future was very uncertain. Mm. Now, it's probably not fully certain now, but it looks like there's more clarity with him. Obviously, he's played in midfield, I think, for his last four appearances, uh, both starting and coming off the bench, played in midfield again um, last night in that 4-3-3, I mm. guess we'd call it. Um, and with him, I guess you see a player who, I guess, un- understands the role, but it's just the execution that needs to come with it. Mm. And that can only come with games, really. But considering, as we've already mentioned, Arsenal don't have Europe, um, there's, I think, over a month until the fourth round. So those minutes are mostly going to come as um, someone coming off the bench in Premier League games. And you do have that, I guess, weird scenario where you have almost the whole, another starting 11 Mm. who are not playing games. (laughs) And, And you need to get them some sort of match sharpness so that's where you see I guess maybe younger players like I know a lot of people were expecting Charlie Patino to maybe get on the bench but that's Mm. where you see them maybe just uh, not suffer suffer is the wrong word because they're only 17 18 years old there's always going to be time but that's where you see I guess the more um, bland (laughs) decision to go with um, the, the, the more 
um, established players who need minutes. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're talking about a midfield combination, it is. it was Ainsley Maitland-Niles, it was Thomas Partey, but it was also Albert Sambi Lukonga as well. So there's a couple of players in there who who haven't been in those positions. So it is, you know, not not quite the same as sticking out Shaka and Elneny, for example. Uh, some familiar faces, of course, in the team, Holding, Marie, Cedric, a new guy at left-back, Nuno Tavares in there, Bernd Leno, now the cup keeper, things like that. You talked about um, maybe that that final bit not being there in the in the final third. How much of that do you think is down to the way that Arsenal play or try and play? And how much of that is down to, you know, missing the creative talents of Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka? And how much of it is down to, like Lacazette, basically starting his first game of the season? Eddie Nketiah starting his first game of the season. Gabriel Martinelli, I think he started against Brentford, didn't he? You know, yeah. but really hasn't played an awful lot this this season. You know, were the complaints, were the gripes understandable to that extent? Or, or is that something that, you know, when you're playing a team from League One, uh, who are, of course, going to put up a fight in a cup competition, you still want to see Arsenal and these players do a bit more than they did? Yeah, I think it's quite understandable with, I guess... The, the way the game went because when you take Eddie Nketiah for example um, who in my opinion was probably one of the sharpest performances in pre-season um, in terms of forwards anyway and then he gets that ankle injury that keeps him out for most of August and now I think his last perf- uh, appearance before last night was for the under-23s as captain mm. against Manchester United under-23s and it was evident with him particularly because most of the chances fell to him, but it just seemed like there was a bit of overthinking um, from players who felt that they had to impress, um, that they were trying too hard almost. There was a moment, and I'm not sure if it was on the highlights that over a million people have already seen, <laughs> um, but a moment about 20 minutes in where he tries an overhead kick in a very packed box Mm. and an unnecessary decision to make, but he makes it. And uh, a few minutes after that, he tries a nutmeg, which was telegraphed to everyone in the stadium and, Mm. and didn't come off. But then you see, I guess in the second half, he's a bit more natural with his um, play. And that's where the goal comes from, where he's a bit more confident, a bit more relaxed, and he's just able to, to, be quite cool in mm. those scenarios as we know he can be but then you I guess you just see that across the whole team where it's a bunch of players who haven't played a lot and they're just trying almost yeah too hard to impress Mikel Arteta and maybe I'm not sure if play their way into the Premier League team is the right way to phrase it mm. but show that they're maybe better than <laughs> just being a fringe player but when you see how especially with the back five at Burnley how almost how much of a statement that that result was for the back five yeah um it does seem quite unlikely that any of those players who started against Wimbledon bar Thomas Partey of course Mm. would would break into that into that first team what did you make of the selection of Eddie over uh Flo Balagoon who you know was convinced to sign a new contract at Arsenal and I think they must have laid out some sort of a plan for him in terms of how they want him to play, how they want him to develop, what his role might be at Arsenal, not just this season, but in the coming season, because you don't commit to a long contract if you've only been given some some information about the next 12 months. So they, they must have had these conversations with him. I think there's a, a groundswell of opinion which would agree that maybe a loan move for him would have been the best thing this season because he does need to go and play. And, and we heard, I'm sure you listened to the Beautiful Game podcast with Per Mertesacker, where he talked about Tammy Abraham at Chelsea going out. He went to Swansea uh, for a season in the Premier League. He had two championship seasons with Aston Villa and was it Bristol City, I think? Yeah. You know, each season he was making 40-odd appearances. He scored 25, 26 goals for Villa, same for Bristol City. He got all this experience, which made him 
you know, a much more rounded, much more developed player. Didn't quite go for him at Chelsea, but Chelsea then have a big transfer fee and Tammy Abraham has gone to play for Roma, you know, another big club in Europe. It's opened up that door. Eddie, we know, hasn't signed a new deal, is out of contract at the end of the season. There would be, maybe some people would say, look, why don't you give the minutes to the guy who's going to be here in the long term? And that's Balagoon. We know that Eddie's not going to be here. He's had chances. Is it a case, do you think, that perhaps if there's some move to try and sell Enkedia in January, reminding people that he's there and trying to maintain some value in him, if it's possible to sell him in January, that is, because you know, clubs might wait. He might want to wait until the summer anyway. Um, it was an interesting decision from Arteta all the same. Yeah, I think when it comes to uh, Balogun and Enketia, it is, well, from my view anyway, part of the long-term thinking that uh, maybe it isn't as urgent a situation with Balogun, so you don't have to... Risk is the wrong word, but maybe just start him in a situation that's quite uncertain for uh, Lacazette and Enketia when you think about it, because, I mean, in January, uh, you could get a lot more clarity mm. over both their um, contractual situations. And although Balogun is there and is probably better than playing under 23s football, which he has done uh, for the past couple of weeks against Manchester United and Chelsea, he's probably less... Um, he's not his situation has already been resolved to an extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think when when you have a player like, say, Enketia and Lacazette, whose situations aren't resolved, you're probably at, um, uh, at a place where you are inclined to give them minutes to maybe try and <laughs> uh, make them more marketable mm. um, in, in January, but also... Um, just to gauge what they can still offer to you, maybe. Mm. I know um, in terms of Enketi in particular, it, is, it does seem like it's more down to him uh, personally than it is to the club. Because as we know, um, I think James uh, McNicholas reported it first in, in June that Arsenal offered him the new contract and he still hasn't signed. So mm. it does very much seem that it's his decision, mm. I guess you'd say. Um but yeah, I also do think that in terms of the thinking for selection, there would have been an element of Balogun's futures already set. So you don't really have to worry about him as much. Mm. Um, I, and I think also with how um, the December period will come, uh, where there's a lot more midweek games, my personal opinion or hope <laughs> would be that there's a bit more rotation for those games ahead of January and then I guess you can reassess all three of those situations um, and see see where they're at. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the AFCON to take into account with Aubameyang, of course, in January. So, mm. um, yeah, look, if Lacazette is not going to sign a new contract, um Aubameyang's not getting any older or younger, rather, I should say. Um, maybe there is some scope for a new deal for Enkedia, whether it means he's the long-term future or not. That's a different question, but it might just, you know, to use the, the buzzword that goes around, protect some value in him. And look, it was a really good goal. I, I only saw it in GIF format, uh, <laughs> but it was very, very sharp movement and a lovely finish. Yeah, as soon so um, as soon as he scored, I was waiting for the phone call celebration <laughs> to come out. But I think that just showed, I guess, the glimpses we saw in preseason when he is confident he can produce. Mm. Um, but it is again with, I guess, a striker like him. The main thing has been to improve his all-round game. Um, I think we saw glimpses of that again in preseason where. Um, just again, from my opinion, he looked a lot sharper when receiving the ball on the turn, um, maybe deeper on the pitch. But also, he was actually playing as a wide forward in preseason, which he did again last night. So I, I do definitely feel that even though um, if he does decide to leave, then that's that. Uh, 
but I do think that there could be some use for him mm. uh, if 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 it comes to that, if there's still no goals coming on a consistent basis from Aubameyang or when he goes to AFCON. And uh, I think, yeah, there's definitely still a use for him in the squad for now anyway. Mm. One of the things we talked about young players earlier on, and I suppose when you look at the bench, he brought on... Emil Smith-Rowe, he brought on Bakayo Saka, who are, you know, first-team players, but still really young players. And Flo Balogun got on for a few minutes at the end, and he left on the bench uh, Elneny, Chambers, Kolasinac. Um, you know, nobody particularly wants to see any of those. And I don't suppose they're subs that you bring on at a point where it's 1-0 anyway, and you want to try and change the dynamic of the game a bit. And from what I've read... Smith, Rowe and Saka certainly had a positive impact on, on the way that the team played. But it is still nice to see some young players getting the nod rather than the, the safety first options. Yeah, and I think uh, there was a bit of tension creeping into the game at that point as well. Mm. There was um, a fan in front of the press box who was particularly animated when the wrong decision was made by a player. And <laughs> it did feel that... Um, Frustrate, frustration was starting to build with not just this fan, but um, those around him as well. And I think uh, when uh, Smith Rowe and Saka came on, they just brought an urgency to the game. Um, there was a chance where Smith Rowe probably should have scored before he actually did. I think it dropped to his left foot and he just hesitated. Um, but then you see in the build-up, mm. I guess we'll call it, the, the game just becomes a lot more quicker when those two are on. And Saka almost, oh, he could have scored twice almost. Um, both uh, chances coming from when he was playing on the right wing, mm. um, which I know people uh, believe is where he's most efficient. Um, and I think, yeah, those two, it was good to see them with especially how the season started because I think more, I think fatigue is probably more the case for Saka. Um I was actually quite surprised that he went to the September international break with England, mm. um, considering how much football he's played in the past two years. Um, and with Smith Rowe, I think in, in the season, he's been getting into good positions. Uh, against Burnley, he had a good chance. Norwich as well. Um, and Brentford on the opening day. Um, hopefully now that he's actually been able to convert one of those chances, that could be, I guess, a moment that just is the click that yeah. he needed. Um, and it's quite funny that he's actually scored all his home goals for Arsenal uh, at, the, uh, at the North Bank. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's quite a coincidence, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just got to flip it around a bit, do some at the other end and also do some away from home. But look, small, <laughs> small uh, measures of improvement for him. Let's talk Thomas Partey because I was of the opinion before this game it'd be kind of mad to play him. Uh, and I know a lot of people shared that opinion, but I'm also aware that I think we, as fans, view situations like this really differently from players themselves, from managers, from coaches. Arteta said afterwards, look, it's a risk to train at the intensity that we train. It's always a risk to play a game. But he needed... The minutes they needed him to get back to, to sort of proper match fitness, and I think we could see from the from the game against Burnley last weekend, he's not there yet. He's really not there yet to do ninety minutes at that intensity in the Premier League. So, whereas we think rest him, he is saying play me. Mikel Arteta is saying yes. The medical people are saying yes. Get the minutes into him. So there's this kind of disconnection between what we as fans think. And the way that, that, that managers operate. Of course, he's on a hiding to nothing if Thomas Partey gets a kick in the ankle or a kick in the knee or picks up a hamstring strain or something like that. Everybody says, you're an idiot for playing him in a game like this, which doesn't matter. But when that entire side of things appears to be down on that side of the decision, I think we have to kind of not defer to expertise, but kind of understand where they're coming from with, with decisions like this even if it terrifies us. And I wonder, is it just because we're Arsenal fans, we we immediately fear the worst? 
You know, like uh, you ever see one of those videos where somebody's like made a, a beautiful wedding cake and you know they're going to trip and fall and like spill it on the ground. The minute we get something beautiful, we know it's going to break. Yeah, it, I definitely think there is some sort of paranoia there. Because, yeah. um, I was actually quite surprised to see him start as well. I, like you and many others, was of the opinion that he, if he was to come on, bring him on in the second half, maybe 20 minutes half an hour at most um so i was very surprised that he started especially considering that he got cramps uh, at burnley mm. but when you take into consideration the argument to play him it is very logical less emotional mm. than i guess the paranoia that most most of us would have felt when we saw his name on the start in 11 because like you say at burnley he was he was very good at burnley in terms of what he did on the ball, but he just didn't last. And I think getting that rhythm as well into him, it seemed that almost not a practice match, but it just seemed like he was testing things out yesterday. Um, a lot of first-time passes into um, into the front line, a lot of moments where he's just kind of working out how he can get a shot off. I know that's not what a lot of <laughs> Arsenal fans want to hear about Thomas Partey, but there were moments where it was just him and Maitland now bouncing the ball between each other in midfield. Not particularly exciting football, but it just seemed like he was trying to kind of find that rhythm again, mm. um, find his body again, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and he knows it. He probably he should know his body better than us. <laughs> so, just, just so, little, yeah. um, and I think there were moments as well where, um, maybe like, I guess the emotion, emotional side of it kicks in as well, where you're just a bit like, Oh no, don't do that. Where, <laughs> um, <laughs> where he, he like makes a quick acceleration to, to win a 50, 50 and your, your heart's in your mouth. But, um, it seemed like, especially considering he came off after an hour and was unscathed. Mm. It, it does seem like it was the right decision. Well, look, there's a game this weekend that Arsenal badly need him to last 90 minutes in. And, uh, you know, if he can get a shot away and stick one in the top corner, that would be uh, very welcome too. So, yeah, maybe those 60 minutes will do him the world of good for Sunday's game. But, look, we better leave it there. Art, thanks very much indeed. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed to Art. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Art DeRoche, at Art DeRoche, and he writes about Arsenal for The Athletic. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. All right, the North London Derby is coming up this weekend on Sunday, and with me to talk about that and a bit more, Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? It's going all right. Before we start cracking into North London Derby stuff, we come into this one on the back of three wins in a row, which is good, building a little bit of momentum. Uh, Win over Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup, followed uh, up wins over Burnley and Norwich, which I guess those are games that, like, Arsenal are expected to win. We should be winning. Those are the games that, if you're going to make some kind of excuses for what happened against Chelsea and Man City, you have to say that these are the games that Arsenal should be winning. I want to focus a little bit on Burnley, though, because I know we've spoken before and you've expressed some concerns 
little worries about our ability to click as an attacking force. And I'm not saying it did against Burnley. And again, the sample size is, is very small. But were you at all encouraged by some of the positions that we got ourselves into in that game, just missing that last pass rather than this this inability to get anywhere close to being uh, creative? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, I was impressed by the starting 11. Mm. Um, you know, I think even before the team set foot on the pitch, that was kind of a little message of intent on its own from Arteta. And I think that was, you know, something nice for me because, you know, I've I've really, you know, I, I was willing to trial this um, sort of novice job for Arteta. I was kind of ready for a, a big change from Emery. And I was like, right, I'm on the train. Let's do it. And slowly, slowly, he just kind of lost me along the way. But I was like, right, this is a... This is a branch for me here. Um, and in the last game, you know, we had international break and it was like, oh, you know, we've just been embarrassed once at home, been embarrassed away. And it was like Paolo Marie was playing and Kalasinac was playing and, uh, you know, and it was, you know, we weren't in a good place. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, he he looks, uh, you know, good against Norwich with the, with the team. And then he did it again away against Burnley. So it wasn't just you know, we're playing the team that's bottom in the Premier League at home. It was like, right, this is a difficult place to come. Um, they're going to be physical. We know what they're going to do. And he and he went again with the with, with Odegaard, Smith-Rowe. Um, I mean, you know, uh, with, with Party in there as well as the, kind of the anchor. So I was like, right, this is a good starting point. And yeah, completely agree about what you said with just the final touch. I mean, how many times did we... We see Saka, you know, go through and there was an underhit pass. I think the Pepe had one as well. Aubameyang had one too, Pepe. And it was just like, oh, just a little bit more care. And, and you know, we, we really could have done something, you know, or at least made it more comfortable. Um, but, you know, I'm much willing, much more willing to forgive that than, you know, the, the dreaded horseshoe of death that we saw for, for so long or just a general lack of intent from the manager. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I... I... I do wonder if we're a little bit maybe clutching at straws a bit. We're looking for things to to give us hope and give us encouragement. And that's not to say that there haven't been things in those games against Norwich and against Burnley. We set the bar pretty low. So, you know, we have to uh, acknowledge that as well. But we finished that Norwich game with that lineup. We started the Burnley game with that lineup. And it is an attacking lineup. You do have creative players on the pitch. We can talk about the need for more end product. I think everybody accepts that. Uh, players like Smith Rowe, Saka, Odegaard, um, you know, even Obama Yang at times after the, the season he has had, give him some service and uh, he, he'll deliver, we're sure. Pepe, second most goals and assists, I think, in, in the team last season. So we know he can produce. We can talk about that end product. But but the simple fact of having more creative players, more attacking players on the pitch, I have to say, it's it when Arteta took over, I realized he kind of had to put things right. I realized he had to st- steady the ship and all that kind of stuff. But that kind of lineup was much more what I was expecting from him as a manager. Maybe he didn't have the players. Maybe he didn't or felt like he didn't have the players. But it always felt to me like that was much more akin to what I thought we were going to get from him, which is why a lot of what's happened and the way we've played has been so underwhelming. So I hope it's something he continues with. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because, you, you know, he's he's played under Arsene Wenger. He's understudied for Guardiola. I mean, he's played alongside uh, Ronaldinho. So you think maybe there would be some of that kind of influence in his um, in his sort of managerial philosophies. But he's very kind of wedded to to his positions. You know, I don't I don't mm. I never felt like there was a lot of flexibility within the team. Um, you know, system wise he's he's tried some different things. I mean we had that spell with the with the three at the back. We um I mean obviously that won us the FA Cup. Um and we've tried some some four three threes, we've tried some four two three ones. But now I think we're slowly well hopefully finding out what he wants now and, and whether as you said, maybe he, now he feels like he has the players to do it. I'm, I'm not sure if that was the, the sort of the deciding factor, but, you know, it was just, uh, I was happy to see it because it shows to me that he knows that something needed to be changed. Um, and instead of picking Willian every week and, you know, persisting with Granite Xhaka 
you know, doing his little ball rolls and six touches on the halfway line. It showed that he was willing to put some, you know, a bit of injection of pace in the side, some more attacking threat at the cost of maybe some defensive, uh, you know, shortcomings, which mm. is for me is fine. I'm not fussed about that. Um, so, yeah, I think hopefully now this is kind of the new angle in which, you know, he wants to take the team. Um, and I'm fully aware that it's going to be a back three with Granite Jacker back in on Sunday. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, for me, this is kind of what I wanted to see after the international break, you know, yeah. because he was slowly and, you know, he doesn't care about me, but he was slowly losing me. Um, and, you know, he's pulled me right back in, as they say. Just so, when you, you know, thought I'm, you were right, they pulled you back in. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah, we, we'll see. But yeah. it's, a, it's a positive step. Um, I mean, look, you mentioned in there, uh, Granit Xhaka, and I'm, I'm quite curious as to, you know, how in this setup he is going to fit, you know, and Ar Arteta has spoken before about wanting to play a 4-3-3 at the end of, I think it was the end of 2020, he basically said, mm -hmm. I want to play a 4-3-3, but we need a lot of specificity in certain positions. And we've done a lot of business in the, in the, in the summer. We've spent money on players who I think can contribute to that system. You know, you're looking at Aaron Ramsdale, whose distribution, and we're going to talk about him in a moment, but whose distribution perhaps is a step up on Bernd Leno, who allows you to get the ball further up the pitch with a bit more accuracy. Ben White had his struggles against Burnley, but we know what he was brought in to do. You have uh, Tommy Asu coming in at right back, another guy who's really, really comfortable on the ball. Um, this, this system with Thomas Partey sitting deepest with... Smith Rowe with Odegaard. And I think we've got other players who could fit in there as well. You know, you could easily, I could easily see Granit Xhaka, or not Granit Xhaka, but Kyle Saka as one of those guys in uh, either side of Thomas Partey. As, a, as, a, as an eight, I think he can do that. Whether that takes too much away um, from what we've got further forward, I don't know. But the elephant in the room is, is Xhaka because he doesn't fit into this. But he is a very trusted lieutenant of of Mikel Arteta uh so much so that we extended his his contract and that's not something we need to debate because it's done it's water under the bridge at this stage but it doesn't suggest that he's somebody who is going to be uh I'm not going to say easily discarded but he was obviously given that contract with with some um with Arteta thinking that you know he's going to play quite a lot for me so is it a case that there will be certain games where this formation that we like is more suitable and there might be games where he feels like Granit Xhaka and his experience might be useful? And I, I, I you know, I, I leave that open to debate for other people to decide whether they think that would be a good idea or not this weekend. Um It just feels like if you're trying to build something and build something different that people are saying, okay... Uh, and I don't think you're alone in 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 feeling like uh, Mikel Arteta had lost you a bit. I think that's true of a lot of people who, you know, if they're fair-minded, will acknowledge, okay, well, that's different. And I, I like that. I can see what you're trying to do. How do you keep those people on board if you're planning on bringing Granit Xhaka back? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a difficult one for me because... I, I don't see him as a, a as a kind of a trusted lieutenant just for Mikel Arteta. I think Unai Emery was very consistent in his use of Granit Xhaka and even Arsene Wenger, I mean, after his kind of weird start where he didn't really play at all, um, you know, he was pretty much a mainstay towards the end of the Wenger era as well. So, I mean, there's obviously qualities there that, that managers like. Um, and, you know, we've, as you said, we've done the debate a million times already. Um, but I think the big thing for me was was just willing to be freshened up in in midfield, um, and and we've seen it, and and that was largely due to his own uh, faults. Um, yeah. I mean, the red card it kept him out for three games, so obviously it, it kind of pushed Arteta into action. Mm. And I'm not sure if that was the catalyst, or whether it was the results, or you know maybe a combination of everything, but. For me, I mean, in, in isolation, I'm just going to look at this weekend. I think it, it's interesting because Spurs have been playing a three. Um, Spurs have been playing a midfield three under Nuno, which is quite strange because usually he'd play a three at the back um, at Wolves and that was kind of his system. But he's put 
Ndombele back in the side with with Lo Celso and Pierre-Emil Hoybjerg. And I think Chelsea last week is a perfect example of how you can be outrun. Because in the first half, Chelsea just had Kovacic and Jorginho in there and they completely lost the midfield battle. And then what does Tuchel do at halftime? Takes off Mason Mount brings on and, and brings on Engolo Kante. Mm. And what happened in the second half, they completely, you know, took charge and, and destroyed them. So I I hope that Arteta has that in mind because, you know, Party and Chaka, we've seen it, it, you know, we've seen it work. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's the worst player in the world. He has um, skills that are useful. We know he's had a couple of good games next to Thomas Party, and he's kind of experienced in, in these kind of games, particularly at the Emirates. I've seen him play well against Spurs before. Mm. Um so I'm not knocking that partnership. I'm just thinking about that in mind. If Spurs go with the three, it's very easy for games to be um, sort of out of your grasp and out of your control. And I think in, in a derby, when it means you know a lot for both teams already, I don't think that's the foot that you wanna you wanna lead off. Mm. Um, whether he trusts Odegaard and Smith Rowe to kind of be those those two eights uh, defensively, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I would be happy with him to go with the three again, personally. Um, I think it shows consistency. I think it shows a commitment to an idea um, and, a, and, a, and a willingness to change. But I've, ugh, I don't know. I've just got a sneaky um, suspicion that it's going to be Thomas Party and Granite Xhaka again um, so, so you, in the middle. So you think he'll go more to the four-two-three-one than the yeah, four-three-three? I, so. I think so. And yeah. I think Saka will be back on the right instead of Pepe as well. I've got a feeling. Yeah. Interesting. So who do you see on the left-hand side? I think you'll put Smith Rowe on the left. Mm. Um, it worked there last season. It worked well last yeah. season. Yeah. I mean, it was a, we, we played really well in that game yeah. last year. So, um, you know, it's just funny. There's like a, a clip from SpongeBob when SpongeBob and Patrick are both put into prison. And it's like, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. And then like one second later, it's like, okay, you're done. And I feel like that's kind of what it's like under Mikel Arteta for Granite Xhaka. He's like on the naughty step and it's like, all right, your, your time's up. You know, you're yeah, back yeah. In, the, in the team. So I don't know. We'll see. But that's that's what I think, even though I would be more than happy to see him go with what we've been doing in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I was going to ask you a bit about what, what Spurs have been like under... Nuno this season mm-hmm. I mean do you see much different from the way that he operated at Wolves um, the, the, I mean they obviously had a very strong start to the season and uh, hasn't gone quite as well since and hopefully it continues to go downwards at a rapid pace uh, but like what, what are the differences that you've noticed in the way that he's trying to get this Spurs team to play from the way he's got um, or used to used to work with Wolves well, I mean, Wolves were very counter-attack uh, oriented. And I think that's quite normal considering the players they had at the time. I mean, you know, they basically had the the back three, Ruben Neves, Jao Medina would sit there and basically just kick along to a Traore and Jota who would, who would cross for Raul Jimenez. Um, and it's really weird because Spurs... Um, they've kind of deviated away from that. Like I said, he's been going with the 4-3-3, but they just pose no goal threat. Um, you know, they beat City, obviously, in the first game of the season, but they were very fortunate to win um, their next games. Um, and obviously, they got completely blown away at Palace. And I think they have the lowest XG in, in the league uh, recorded, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I think it's like 4.2 XG uh, in the first five games, which is, which is terrible. Is that worse um, than us? I think I think we're probably seventeenth or eighteenth, <laughs> but considering they have like world class forwards in yeah, Min yeah, Son yeah. and Harry Kane, um, it's really strange. And I, I've watched them a couple of times, and they just look really toothless. So obviously, you know, I've just given us a, a huge jinx there. But I think for me, it depends about what he's going to try in midfield. Um, again, like us, that's where I can see the game being won and lost, and. It depends if he's going to stick with a non-belay because as, as everybody knows, he was kind of frozen out. He wanted to leave, but he's back in and he's playing well and he scored the other day and he assisted uh, in the cup and scored in the cup again. So, I mean, I think he's going to err on the side of caution like Arteta as well and and put in maybe Oliver Skip in midfield to just give them a bit more security in front of the back four because defensively, I think they've been a bit unorganised this year. So, um, but I haven't been impressed. I'm going to put it that way. And I think 
you know, they were topping the table after three games. And I think that was very much uh, flattering. Mm. Um, and I think we, you know, with a few wins behind us, the crowd seemed to be on side as well. We've got an, a nice injection of, of sort of fresh faces and quality in the side. And I'm, there's no reason for me why we shouldn't be going for them on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it there, the 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 little bit of momentum, the growing connection between the fans and the team. Um, you know, it's something myself and, and Lewis talked about a bit on the preview podcast is like, you're the manager, you manage the team, but you can manage the occasion. You can manage the way that people feel about the team before they walk out onto the pitch. You know what I mean? And that goes to team selection and maybe being brave and maybe picking some players who, you know, who haven't been in the team and who people want to see. Uh, and we see that with, you know, the back five now. 75% of that was new against Burnley with Tommy Asu, Ben White, Aaron Ramsdale, summer signings, Gabrielle. Not that he's like a new signing, but he still feels like a relatively new player. Um, and that's sort of that thing where the fans are connecting with the team is really important. Um, it's unquantifiable, of course. You can't say how much it gives you, but it definitely gives you something. And if that, uh, what we've done over the last three games, while acknowledging that, you know, this is should be par for the course for Arsenal it's still something to take into a game like this, you know, to to try and build on what we've got rather than be like scrabbling around and firefighting for a derby. That is, that's the last thing you want. It's, I think everything's sort of come together at the perfect time for, for Arteta because, you know, after the, the poor start we had, you know, three defeats, um, nine goals conceded, zero goals scored. I think things could have turned very quickly um, against him and against the players. But I think the international break came at, you know, pretty much the perfect time. Um, you know, when has, when has anybody ever said that? Never. <laughs> um, but I think it, it came at a perfect time. It gave him some time to, to really work on some things on the training ground, maybe talk to talk to some people at uh, you know higher up in the ground maybe Mertesacker or Edu and, and really put like a strategy together about where they want to go and what image they want to put forward um, and I think there was a nice cocktail of the fans coming back um, after such a long time because you know everyone's still riding that high in that wave of being back in the stadium again and, and you know people are really excited to support Arsenal um, having mm. not been able to do so for so long and as you mentioned before against Burnley, all those fresh faces, you know, they just give you something extra, you know, it's something different, something new to get behind. And I think all of those things coming together um, have have kind of all, all, all come together for a really nice cocktail for Arteta. And I think he needs to really capitalise on that because, as you said, even just like one or two things in the team selection can really get people talking outside the ground and, and, you know, it completely affects people going into their seats or whatever and, and, and the whole t five, ten minutes before the kickoff. And, you know, I just think we're in a good place. Um, and, and that's, you know, people can say, oh, we've only beaten Norwich, um, Burnley and, and AFC Wimbledon. But, you know, a win's a win. And um, we know that they can be quite difficult to, to come by at times. So I think... You know, everyone's sort of behind the club. The players seem to be um, in a good moment. They're all, all happy and, and, and working for, for themselves and for each other. So I think there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be able to to really stake a claim on Sunday and go for this Spurs side. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And if people aren't together with the team and the fans, you know, if that connection isn't there for North London Derby, you're absolutely ruined. But I suppose one of the things, again, if you're looking for things to be slightly encouraged about we were in a dark place uh, and that's often uh, a time when when you can see past the facade of professional football in a way because you know when players are giving it for each other when they're giving it for the manager and even though things were terrible and they've only improved slightly in terms of performances and results I think that's an encouraging sign that that there was at least a a consolidation of where we were and an effort to try and put things right on behalf of the players. Uh, they worked hard. You know, they really worked hard in, in these games. As I said, you know, it gives us a lift, but it also gives the team a lift. Um, you know, they, there's something different being added in the goalkeeping position. We've got someone else um, in that right back. You know, basically the whole 
spine and structure of the team has been changed. So it's normal that we, that we've had a lift, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that can only be a good thing because in particularly, you know, in some positions where maybe there wasn't a lot of competition before that they're now feeling a bit of, Oh, you know, there, there's some players here that I need to be worrying about. So naturally that just raises the level and, you know, it, it can only be a good thing. I mean, it, Sunday is, is the test. Um, you know, we've had some good results. We've seen, you know, even if the attacking play hasn't always, um, uh, you know, bared any fruit. Um, I mean, we've only scored, you know, one got two goals in the Premier League. So there's obviously room for improvement there. But, yeah. you know, slowly we've seen the intent there and Sunday is the real test. Because if we go out and have a bad performance and we lose, then it kind of feels like um, one step forward and then two steps back again. So... Um, I think it's a really big game for Arteta and, and the players to try and show the fans and to show not not just us, but people in, in football in general that maybe we've turned a corner, you know? I mean, mm. this, this is a real statement. Um, it could be a real statement victory for us if we, if we take all three points. Um, you know, we're on home soul. That's a huge advantage for us. And I just think the energy around the place has been so much more positive than than what it was three or four weeks ago. So I think... I'm completely happy to ride this momentum. Um, I'm going to be, you know, even here in Berlin, you know, you kind of lose a bit of proximity to the game. Um, but, you know, you still feel the nerves. I mean, it's it's completely, it's one of those games where you feel it on Monday morning and it's like, right, we play Spurs on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and as much as you want to win the game, you just absolutely don't want to lose it because, you know, we fucking hate them. Um, and that's, and that's how it goes. So, and, and it's nice to, to feel something from these games because in, in the past, I mean, did anyone really expect a result against Chelsea or against Man City? And I hate going into big games with a feeling of resignation before you've even kicked off. Mm. I hate it. And obviously you need to, to maybe have that internal dialogue with yourself about being realistic and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it, this is a game now when you think like, come on, let's get at them. And it, your, your kind of tribal side really takes over. And I hope that that transmits through to the players because it could be a really great day for the club. And, and I hope it will be. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, last thing I want to talk to you about is Aaron Ramsdale. He has played three games for the club so far, kept a clean sheet in all three of those games. One of them, I think, was a little bit easier than uh, the other two, uh, the, the Carabao Cup game. But... I thought he was really good against Burnley, and I, I think maybe we saw some signs as to why he was brought in. Somebody who commanded his area, a bit more domineering aerially than Burned Leno, who likes to punch Leno or Ramsdale, caught some really, really good balls, which helped ease the pressure. And if we're talking about that connection, if we're talking about the character, if we're talking about things like that, he seems to have, for a guy who, like, let's be honest, I think there was somewhere between universal bewilderment and like a big gigantic WTF uh, when it came to signing him this summer for a lot of people, people found it very difficult to understand why he was the player that we were going for. I think we're seeing part of that right now in, in terms of what he brings to the team, the character, what he, what he's like as a goalkeeper with his hands and with his feet. Um, you know, I think we've obviously got a way to go before we can uh, judge him properly, but so far so good based on what we've seen. Absolutely so far so good. I mean, I um, I was sceptical when the, I mean, especially when some of the, the, the initial reports came out and it was like Sheffield United want 40 million. And I was like, oh, yeah, come on, this, is, this has <laughs> to be a joke. Um, you know, but... I think he's done an amazing job. I think he's he's done so well to, you know, not only establish himself within the club, but to also change fan perception incredibly quickly. I mean, I think this is a case of um, one of the very few players who have been able to do that, that maybe with a signing that was met with a lot of scepticism um, and within a month, you know, people, mm. people are loving him. Um, he can't really do much wrong at the moment. And I think, as you said, for me, one of the big differences, I mean, we, we've seen his distribution, we've seen his ability to claim, 
you know, crosses, as, as we said, when Leno maybe prefers to punch. I just think he's got that crazy goalkeeper gene. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think right. he's he's a bit crazy in, in that sense where he's just willing to put his head where it hurts or he's willing to, you know, scream at an attacker or, you know, put his knee up into their chest so they won't, you know, go anywhere near him for the next high ball. And I think that makes a difference. Um, I've, you know, I, I can't really say with much confidence about Leno because I don't know him. But I, I find him a very cool, um, composed guy. Um, maybe sometimes a bit nervous when things are, are a bit difficult. Not overly vocal, and you know that's nothing against his technical quality. But I think in a position like a goalkeeper, I think you need a bit of an edge. And already we've seen a lot of edge from Ramsdale. Whether it's you know telling Ashley Westwood to fuck off or. Um, you know, um, actually willing to try some some passes that maybe Leno wouldn't touch, mm. you know, and I think that's that shows a lot. That's a testament to his character and, you know, fair play to, to Arteta, who obviously pushed for this signing behind the scenes and the scouts who obviously saw something in him that, that we were blind to after the initial sort of reports came out and everyone was like, what the hell? This guy's been relegated, you know, 400 times and he's, you know, I think... Um, I think he's done an excellent job and I think already mm. um, that position is his to lose and I didn't expect it to happen so quickly. Um, I thought maybe in January there would have been potential for a swing, but not in September. Um, and I think that speaks to to his standing in Arteta's thoughts and already how well he's settled in. So I'm really um, pleased for him and, and delighted that we've managed to 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 put some oomph into the position, you know, mm. because it was a, a clearly a, a problem area. Mm. Well, look, let's hope he makes it four clean sheets in a row on Sunday. Hope the nerves don't get too uh, intense for you before uh, before kickoff. Uh, as ever, <laughs> <laughs> thanks a million, Phil. We'll talk to you soon. No problem. Thanks so much. Cheers to Phil. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa at underscore Phil Costa. Right. Well, I think we will leave it there for this particular episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. For more on the North London Derby, Arsenal versus Spurs taking place on Sunday, please join myself and Lewis Ambrose over on Patreon. We do a preview podcast for every Premier League game, and I suppose we'll do some this season for the FA Cup in particular as that competition reaches its final stages, its more important stages, which is where we're going. I'm telling you, I feel it. I feel it in my in my stylophone. That's the FA Cup winning jingle for uh, 2020. What year is it now? It's 2020. It's going to be 2022. That seems like a futuristic FA Cup win. But look, we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Preview podcast at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. James is back from his holidays this weekend. He will be in situ to watch the game on Sunday. And we'll be here on Monday to talk about it on the Arscast Extra. For now, though, thank you very much, as always, for being here. Much appreciated. We will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. I ain't watching Arsenal this season. Ah! I can't watch Arsenal in a third-round Carabao Cup game because of no TV coverage. Ah! A man I don't know and will never meet has expressed an opinion about a thing which has no bearing whatsoever on my life. Rawr! I've been put in my place by a lady scientist who has qualifications and degrees in university and all that, even though I've got Facebook. Rawr! 
Someone with more followers than me quote tweeted me even though I quote tweeted them in the first place and now I've got a pile on. Ah! I've been told I can't use my trademark ah, sound because the ah, sound has been copyrighted by Lady Gaga. Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit! Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.